Welcome to X-Rated Movies. This is a movie podcast by two guys who used to date and now they don't. I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Whedon. I'm one of your hosts, Matthew Fisher. And this is episode fucking 99. 99. Like, I'm now struggling to remember a day before the podcast. Yeah. Like, that's how much of, like, my thoughts it takes up in any given week. <sighs> We've been doing this for two years now. Yeah. Like, on the regs. Yeah. Like, really, every Monday for two years. Oh, my God. I'm even, like, amazed at how long ago, you know, the sequels season was. Like, that was the that, beginning of the year, and it feels like yeah so long ago now. I was going to say, that was right around a year ago, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's wild stuff. <laughs> Weird wild stuff. <laughs> uh, I don't know how to, how to transition in, into things I want to... <laughs> We always try to have like something ready to chat about here, and the I know it seems like we're just off the cuff all the time, <laughs> yeah. but we often come into this with something to, to chat about, and I have a question that I've been thinking about a lot lately, and uh, I want to pose it to you, Matt, if that's okay with you. Sure. So, I've been thinking a lot about my cis privilege, and so I'm very curious, I've been asking a lot of gay people specifically this question, have you ever questioned your gender identity no actually even when i sort of played with it when i was younger like you know touching on drag painting fingernails stuff like that i tried to always look at it pretty objectively Mm -hmm. and be like all right is society telling me that i don't like my fingernails painted or do i not like my fingernails painted Mm -hmm. and if it was always something like black or clear I, i could live with it but the moment that it was like you know curved nails I like the only thing I can think of was like I can't do anything with these. Like why would anyone want these? Yeah. I don't know. The the two like far down like the other spectrum of gender it would go, like the less I would feel like it was necessary. Like not that I was uncomfortable or embarrassed, but if they were like bright red, I was like, What the hell am I doing? I don't yeah. want bright red I don't wear bright red clothing. If you look around my home it's earth tones, like <laughs> I don't know, stuff like that. I was just like, I don't know. I'm pretty comfortable being a boy. You never had like a time where when you started to realize you liked boys where you're like, oh, maybe I should be a girl. No, I was pretty firmly boy who likes boys. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, good topic for the movie because I actually, you know, put a pin in that. But no, my, uh, my gender identity has never really been questioned. Yeah. Like I think like back in the day when I was a little gaby, I never questioned it, and then like now that we're talking about like trans rights and like the science behind it, mm-hmm. I think about it a lot more. But all it's sort of doing is like reinforcing like my current gender identity. Sure, I was like, oh yeah, there's like a biological reason that I'm not questioning it, you yeah. know. But it's also sort of reinforcing the idea that gender is a spectrum for me. Like the more I learn about like the science, like both like the genetic science and like the psychiatric and psychological science behind it, the more I'm like, oh, it, it, it is like a wide variety with like multiple different variables all sort of like adding to something. And I'm just like, yeah, no, I'm squ- squarely in this camp. That's how I feel too. I've never felt like I was meant to be different in, in that way. Like I was like, something's not right. You know, when I was a child, I was always hanging out with girls and I would do girly things with them, but it was never like, oh, maybe I should be a girl. My yeah. thought process was always like, I'm just a boy who hangs out with girls. Like, that's just who I am. And that's okay. Yeah. So I've been thinking about that a lot because that means if I did start to question that, like, I feel 
Like that's going to take up a lot of your brain space if you are trans. Oh my God. Like me having to like go to a physical post office takes up a bunch of my brain yeah. space. <laughs> like I can't even imagine what it'd be like if you're having like a gender crisis. Yeah. Like that would like push out other important things in your like day-to-day mental process yeah or like having to you know like stress about choosing a locker room or a bathroom kind of thing like that is what i'm realizing now like my whole point about this is i'm realizing now that that's what they mean by cis privilege oh sure it's like i don't have to think about that shit i already i already know i'm just like i'm going in the in the one that looks like the little man you know yeah so i don't know it's just something i've been thinking a lot about lately and uh how much that must suck like i feel I, I, oh, my heart goes out. <laughs> I'm I'm firmly in favor of like people like calling out privilege where they see it, both in outside parties and you know inside parties. Mm-hmm. And I like I say this constantly. Like working in a gay office space is privilege. Yeah, the idea of not having to come out again. I, I mean, really, we just hired someone new, and like one of the questions is like, "How are you around gay people?" <laughs> Like during the staff interview, it was like, because there's a lot of clientele that's gay and maybe some staff. Like, <laughs> you're like coming through with a big stack of papers. You're like, hot stuff coming through. And like, that's sort of a privilege, too. Sure. So, not having to think about that or not having like the burden of having to come out again to like a different set of people. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, if you're trans, like, people understand that even less. Mm hmm. I went to Banya 5 because I I had a spa day for myself Mm -hmm. and there were some trans men there who used the men's locker room and my and I did have a visceral reaction of like oh you're in the wrong room oh yeah and I had to like check that and fight that and be like no because once I realized what I was doing it was like oh never mind Mm -hmm. I don't I don't care and like they didn't treat it like anything special it was just like oh this is a locker room that feels right it's no big deal yeah but like i did have that initial reaction i think it's okay to feel that way but you have to like check that mm-hmm. yeah yeah i always like especially when uh you know two years ago i guess now like when there was a whole bunch of bathroom bills mm-hmm. going up and i was always like you know if it's like a a sort of open shower locker room i can see an argument being made there but then I think about things like in Japan where, like, it's really normal to have, like, family baths. When, like, kids are young, like, it's, like, mom and dad and the kids all take, like, one bath together at the same time. And so to me, like, that fear, like, the, the open stall shower situation seems more American yeah. than other things. Where if kids were sort of okay with genitals or knowing about them or acknowledging them or being familiar with them from mm-hmm. an earlier age, like there wouldn't be like an inherent shock value yeah. in seeing them just because if they're sort of explained that at an earlier age or are familiar with sexuality at an earlier age, then it might not be quite the uh, uh, disruption in their expectations. Yeah. And you're allowed to have an emotional feeling Mm -hmm. when presented with something uh, foreign. Mm -hmm. But I think what's important as a human being is to step outside that emotional reaction for a second and say, is this rational or am I being 
a stupid ignorant person you right know? Like, right and uh you know in this case i i was like that emotional reaction was a very reptilian base uh reaction i had and i think to evolve we need to just say hey you know quiet down gut reaction yeah like everything's fine <laughs> yeah yeah what's a reaction that you've been getting from a lot of people when you ask this uh really great yeah. uh, a lot of good stories uh some people uh saying that gender's always been performative, so it's never been like mm, something that mm. they've questioned. One person I talked to put it, and, and I think about this sometimes too, because when, when I was, when my mom was pregnant with me, they didn't know what gender I was going to be when I was born. So they had a boy name picked out and a girl name picked out. And uh, they were quick to, you know, tell me at a pretty young age, like, if you had been a girl, we were going to name you Paige. Um, so mm. that's kind of funny. I think about what Paige's life would be like a lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> and like, I don't know, for me, I, I think that like if I had been. Uh, born as a girl I probably would still be a homosexual I think that like I'm just wired that way oh really yeah the more I think about it, the more I'm like I probably would just still want to be with someone of the same gender okay I think that's more important to me than like the, a sexual attraction to like maleness or something like that I mean I always feel like gay people are like cheating at like the <laughs> the, the two gender constriction like we found a loophole yeah like it's like Mm, that seems like a whole mess over there. <laughs> I'm just going to go do this thing with this guy. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, because part of me almost feels like gender neutral on a lot of things. Like mm-hmm. while like I identify as male in like body, I wouldn't say that like any of my interests are gendered in any sort of way. Yeah. Uh, or if they are, it's like just a slight tick one way or the other. Like, I don't think I do anything that's overtly masculine, like hobbies or interests. Like, you know, I'm big into movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've said this before that I actually think that a well-written part for a female lead is more likely to be more interesting dynamic than even some of the best written male leads. Mm-hmm. The example that I always use is uh, Ripley in Aliens, specifically the sequel, because here's this like, badass woman shooting guns operating machinery but like she's doing it to like win this like surrogate daughter back yeah and like her reward at the end is when newt calls her mommy Mm -hmm. and i think it's because we allow women to have like this big arc in a movie like they can go from being feminine motherly maternal types to being like badass mercenaries on the other end and a well-written one can like go anywhere along that spectrum back and forth. Whereas I feel like even the best written male part is like, it starts at like neutral masculine and can only go to hyper masculine. Like that's the spectrum that it has. Yeah. And I think the fact that like women can have this huge arc in movies, like a well-written female part always sort of draws me more to them like female-centric movies than male-centric movies. Yeah, I'm thinking of uh, Marge from Fargo as well as another sure. I mean, that's really the, well yeah. written. I mean, she's pregnant in yeah, the movie. She's fucking pregnant. <laughs> but yet she's like the pluckiest, smartest of the officers. Yeah, she's solving crime. She she shoots a gun. Yeah. Like I mean, no. I mean, that's a perfect example. Yeah. That's that's totally right in that zone. <laughs> Speaking of well-written female characters, as well as uh, perhaps trans issues? Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe. 
Maybe we should talk about today's movie. So today's movie, seminal film from my childhood. Uh, one that I sticks out in my mind the most as just because I saw it in theaters, watched it on VHS a whole bunch. Uh, 1989's Little Mermaid. I don't think this was the first movie that I saw in theaters, but this is probably the first movie I remember seeing in theaters. Mm-hmm. This ushered in Disney's like new golden age, and really just rightfully so. Just I want to say real fast that I did not like this movie. <gasps> I loved, loved it. it. Oh, Matt, I I watched it twice because. <laughs> The first time through, I was like, okay, this is straight nostalgia to mm-hmm. my veins. Like, mm-hmm. they're just, like, right in there. And so, it's like, my reaction, I was crying, like, almost the whole movie. So, like, my, I was like, okay, clearly there's something working here. Uh, but I'm like, is it just nostalgia factor? And then I watched it again today, and it's like, no, this is a, and I'm not going to use this word lightly, this is a perfect film. Yeah, it... <laughs> I'm going to have, like, the Back to the Future problem where I don't feel like, you know, we should have sent a poet, like... My words will not do justice for how great this movie is. It's so it's just it's perfect. I mean, on a just a purely nostalgic factor, the movie is so fun. It's perfectly paced, and like you'd never get bored. You're just with it the whole time. As a kid, the only time I ever remember being bored is uh, during the "Kiss the Girl" song. Yeah, same here. But even then, watching it now, it's like oh, there's like little Easter eggs here and there that are great. Like Flounder's one of the fish that's spinning and spitting the water oh. around and things like that. It's also a good song, and it's also kind of funny, like when the birds start saying, wah, wah, yeah. wah, wah. <laughs> They keep your interest. Like. It does. And also looking back on it, I'm sort of perplexed, like how did a part of their world not bore me as a kid? Because that's such a slow song. Like That's slower than Kiss the Girl. But it's so compelling. It really is. As soon as it started last night, I was just like bawling. <laughs> I cried through the whole thing. It was embarrassing. I'm so glad nobody saw it. <laughs> a, it's a really good song. It's got that sort of, you know, Broadway show tune mm-hmm. vibe to it. And while watching it this time, I was like, this is why like theater geeks love Broadway so much. Like the way I feel about this song is the way they feel about company i don't know something <laughs> well this is andrew was the, lloyd webber there you I, go. yeah well this movie yeah i think uh there was like a period where disney was kind of not using music as much in their animated movies they'd have like one song per movie or something and this was the first one where they're like let's give it more of a musical like the genre structure so there's like you know four big musical numbers mm-hmm. really uh, and they're the best parts, I think, of this movie. I want to say that this is the first one that Alan Menken uh, wrote music for, mm-hmm. or at least like overtly like show tuny songs. And he's still out there writing songs. Like he did it for like Tangled and Frozen, and yeah, like he's still. Or he, I don't think he did it for Frozen. Okay, he did it for Tangled. I okay. remember seeing his name in the credits. Yeah, well, that team, Howard Ashman and Alan Menken, the they did before this was Little Shop of Horrors. Which is a great, uh, you know, great songs out of that, too. Like, they're just oh, a yeah. real, like, dynamic duo there. And the directing duo of this, they did uh, Great Mouse Detective, which we kind of talked about last week with Devin. But they went on to do a series. Like, they did Aladdin. One of them also still did uh, Princess and the Frog, which was Disney's last 2D animated theatrical release. Okay. 
it's got the same formula and it's a winning formula that movie's also excellent okay and yeah just like the, that specific formula is just mwah. yeah like they really kind of pulled disney out of its 80s gutter watching it this time i was thinking that this is a very special movie like you can tell that a lot of care went into this thing from every aspect like a lot of eyes were on it a lot of uh probably some like test audiences you know like a lot of that which makes it all the more remarkable that it's still magical you Mm -hmm. know like it doesn't feel processed to death it doesn't feel uh like there's too many ideas or too many cooks in the kitchen basically like it really feels like a solid singular vision brought together at like and i'm glad you mentioned pace because it is perfect pacing it Mm -hmm. is so sharp like there's no wasted moments in this movie yeah it hits the ground running like it's got that economy and storytelling that i like so much it's like we know that like she's a rebellious teen that uh i mean in the first like you know usually movies have like 15 minutes this like is in like the first five like we get she's a rebellious teen that she has this fascination with human culture Mm -hmm. and she wants to be a part of their world. Yeah. (laughs) And so we get like what the character wants and like what's stopping them from getting that, like all just in the first couple minutes. Yes. And at some point when she like travels up top, she sees Eric. And this is sort of where I feel, because a lot of people will shit on this movie that like, Oh, she gives up her heritage and her livelihood for a man and that it's like an anti-feminist film. Mm-hmm. But I was like, no, no, no. She already made up her mind <laughs> that like she wanted to be part of their world before she ever saw Eric. Uh-huh. That just like ignited, like gave her a sense of urgency that like we need to do this now. Yeah. Because no, like there's a whole song about how she wants to be part of their world before she ever even sees that man. I'm wondering now if this is where you got your idea um, in the fuck, Mary kill scenarios. You're just like, because Eric is just like sort of her way to be part of the human world. So she's it's a marriage of convenience for her, really. Oh. <laughs> you know, when she like pops up like out of the water and like sees him on the boat, I said aloud, like, she might be living in the ocean, but this is her first time getting wet. <laughs> <laughs> Sploosh. Uh, which I get, I guess. Yeah. I mean, Eric's handsome in a traditional sense. I'd, I'd hop on that. Sure. He seems a little bland, but, uh, you know. But he plays the snarf blat. <laughs> I guess that's something. Uh, yeah, Buddy Hackett as uh, the seagull. Uh, they animate it so Scuttle looks like Buddy Hackett. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, it's really cool. <laughs> I like that. I also like, so they do this. There was two times I noticed this. One was when um, Flounder is talking about how the shark was chasing them. Mm-hmm. And they kind of make him look like a shark at one point. And then he goes like, oh, and then the seagull came. Yeah. And, this, this, this. and like they... For just a second, they make him look like a seagull. They make okay. his nose come out. And then they do it. I really liked that little uh, slight animated uh, bonus. I don't know what you call it. But okay. a flourish. There we go. Okay. And um, they do it again when uh, Ursula is singing uh, Poor Unfortunate Souls. And she like conjures up an image of Eric. And, you know, Ariel's like looking at it. And then like suddenly he goes, just your voice. <laughs> yeah. And like his face turns for yeah. just like a couple frames. Uh and you know turns evil looking and it's just like stuff like that didn't have to do Mm -hmm. at all but it adds so much i mean you've opened the can of ursula now (laughs) like we have to talk about her so question yeah is she the best disney villain or is she the best disney villain (laughs) even as a child she was always my favorite yeah i mean 
Disney villains in this time period, you know, 89 to like 94, we got Jafar, we got Scar, we got Gaston. Those are some pretty good villains, but boy, she really brings it. Did you know that she was originally supposed to be voiced by B. Arthur? Oh, no, really? Yeah, and then when B had to pass on it, they got fucking Elaine Stritch to do it, but she didn't get along with Alan Menken, and so... Uh, <laughs> Pat Carroll okay. came in and she gives, I mean, it's a voice acting tour de force. Like she, every word is virtuosic. She just like <laughs> coos and like goes up and goes down and she's yeah. just all over and it's masterful. That's right. But you'll have your man. <laughs> Life's full of Tough choices in it. <laughs> Did you think it was weird how much uh, uh, boob shots there were? <laughs> like there was a, like she's like yeah. shimmying into the camera. Yeah, wow, for a children's movie, no. there's a lot of boob here. <laughs> she's like moving her hips and her her big butts, like moving all over. Yeah. Oh yeah. Real women have curves. <laughs> <laughs> so, question for you on Ursula, real quick, before we start diving into all the the, the loveliness with her. Uh, they kept referring to her as the sea witch. Right. If the sea is like all they know, isn't she just a witch? And like M- Maleficent should just be the land witch. Yeah. They Even on the scroll that, that she makes Ariel sign, it says, I, Ursula, the witch of the sea. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, huh, they really Maybe like... there's only one. Like yeah. she's the only sea witch and where like witches on land are plentiful. Maybe like so, she needs like, to distinguish just by herself. sheer numbers. Like maybe there are more sea cows than land cows, <laughs> right? But I I think that just by the sheer number of land cows, like those are the default cow, <laughs> and that if it's a cow that's not on land, that's a different type. So like maybe there's just more witches on land. Sure, because I don't like Ariel doesn't like you know she's combing her hair with forks, she's playing smoking pipes <laughs> like musical instruments, so. Maybe they just don't know what... My idea is, like, they don't know of witches on land. Uh Uh-huh. So why would they... Why would they refer to her specifically as, like, you know, qualifying Ursula as the sea witch? Hmm. I don't know. I'm thinking that there must be some sort of, like, underwater higher education thing. (laughs) Because Sebastian seems pretty well-read. He seems to know what's going on Yeah, he studied classical music. Court composer. Yeah. But my theory is that... Because Ariel's only 16... She hasn't gone to aqua college yet. <laughs> so the my idea is that maybe that's where you learn about what's on the surface mm. is in this higher education realm. Because oh. there's just a couple times where Sebastian seems to like know what actually happens on the surface. Yeah. And Ariel doesn't. And so it must be like once you make it into these elite higher education underwater institutions mm-hmm. that that's where you learn what goes on on the surface. Well, then, if that's the case, then I don't get the impression that King Triton went to Aqua College. <laughs> yeah. Because he is xenophobic as fuck. Well, you know, uh, uh, it being uh, underwater monarchy, he probably didn't have to, you know. Oh, yeah. You think he was born into his role? He didn't have to, like, uh, yeah, fight for the throne? His studying abroad was just a different part of the ocean that he already ruled. I see. Okay. It's like, you know, they sent him to, like, Lake Superior uh-huh. to, like... Learn what freshwater animals do. Yeah, and apparently you can do that in this movie because there's like that inlet that flounder is uh, 
swimming in when they're on the carriage and so uh they just go back and forth between salt water and fresh water so apparently that's okay well you know having just come from the beach like i'm a licensed beachologist <laughs> fresh water flows from the coast into salt water mm-hmm. so maybe flounder just salmoned his way up oh yeah into a little freshwater tide pool or something sure 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 my guess my guess my guess um but back to Aqua College. <laughs> what, what courses do you think they have there? Yeah. I'm, now I'm really curious. You know. Well, obviously, um, uh, witchcraft <laughs> is a class. Well, I mean, Triton has his own type of witchcraft. Yeah. Because, like, his Trident, like, does Why don't shit. they call him the Sea Warlock? Oh, yeah. Hmm. I don't know. Because, yeah, he, like, blows up shit in her, like, little Yeah, and he grants her the legs at the end of the movie. Yeah, no problem. So, like, he had the power the whole time. Yeah. At the end of the movie, I was like, why didn't she just, like, ask? Well, I don't know. He was sort of a stick in the mud, but. Yeah. uh, Well, I mean, that gets us on our topic as, like, you know, trans or gay rights Mm -hmm. issues Mm -hmm. embedded in this film. Because he is not accepting it at first. And I'm, no. I was definitely getting some, like, uh, she's in the closet tones here. Yeah. But then I was like, oh, like, it's, it's not. He caught her masturbating to that statue. <laughs> <laughs> Why, Eric, run away with you? <laughs> this is also so sudden. The way that, like, she talks to that statue, that's the way that I talked to my Nick Carter poster in high school. <laughs> But he's not happy about this. <laughs> that scene, okay, something jumped out at me in that scene this time because she, they're like fighting about, you know, you can't date him, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, you don't even know him. And I was like, you don't even know him, Ariel. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> you've literally never met him. Yeah, you literally, you haven't talked to him. No. You sang to him once on the beach, but that's it. Yeah. Like, uh, also. Like, cool your jets. <laughs> so like if we do see this as like a, a trans parable or something like that, Aren't all mermaids already trans? Like, they're already half one species, half another. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I don't know. It just seemed a little funny to me. It was like, you're half human, King Triton. Like, she just wants to be all the way human. Like, yeah. is that so egregious that you have to, like, destroy her shit? I know. That pissed me off. I was like, that's not how you... like Typical dad. Yeah. It's I, My question, also, this time around, is like, who's mothering all of these uh daughters that he has like where are they coming from well i'm assuming it's an egg lane situation maybe oh. it's like seahorses, seahorses. Mm-hmm, yeah mm-hmm. where like the the male is the one that gets impregnated mm-hmm. i don't know who Sire. supplies the other side of that equation yeah. but maybe that's all the audience members at the uh at that first concert maybe it's sebastian yeah. <laughs> maybe that's why sebastian's triton's like right hand man mm. All those daughters looked different, too. So, I mean, like, I'm imagining different mothers for each of them. All those other daughters look crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Which one's your favorite? Uh, uh, Ariana Grande. I don't know. <laughs> I wrote down my favorite. Adina. Okay, they all had A names. Yeah. I liked Adina because she's the one that goes... By the way, just real fast while we're in this section, one more strength that this movie has, that, and, and it's like unbelievable considering how many eyes and hands were in on it, is that all the jokes land. Okay. I think, personally. But like one of my favorites is like just before the concert starts, he like raises his baton, and then it's like, 
dun, 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 yeah. dun, and they're all frantically playing like especially that octopus that octopus cracks me up every time <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a dumb joke but it lands for me uh i don't know all the i got the impression that all the sisters hated ariel because she was the pretty one yeah, probably. Like she, she was far and away like the best looking of that hydra of awful sisters who really could not sing. <laughs> also, like, did no one do like set check on that production? I know. Like, like who closed the clam without checking to see if Ariel was in it? Yeah. What what happened to places, everyone? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Break a fin. God, they're just. <laughs> But they just start things out, and like she's not in the clam when it opens, and I don't know. I feel like someone should have been checking for that. Yeah, there's no like assistant director or like uh, some sort of stage manager. Yeah, stage manager. Where's the stage manager in all this? I don't know. But yeah, that Ariel, what a flighty bee! Like, I mean, God, you'd think that like get her a big... calendar. <laughs> One of these aqua calendars. <laughs> also, you'd think that like. You know, she's a princess. Yeah. They have, like, a whole staff to, like... They're, like, they're kept people, you know? I, I Someone yeah. at somewhere along the lines of her, like, waking day would have been, like, you know, you have to be on set at, <laughs> at you know, 3 aqua hours p.m. sharp. <laughs> Don't forget it's the big aqua celebration <laughs> tonight. That, like, features you. This is, yeah. like, your coming out party. Like... Put her back in. She wasn't done she yet. Was not ready. Yeah, all we all we get as far as like servants and staff is that little seahorse. But I mean, considering there's got to be a lot of underwater creatures that Triton supposedly like rules over. Yeah, he'd have a bigger slave labor staff. And question for you: We get a little idea of how the food chain works because uh, Ursula eats that one little shrimpy thing. Yeah, and the sharks try and eat her. Right, but like they're also like friends with some of these yeah why couldn't she talk to the shark she talks to (laughs) flounder and the seagull and why doesn't she want to eat flounder why what what do they eat are they are they strictly vegetarians are there certain certain species of aquatic animals blue whale they eat plankton oh okay like all of them do Maybe. I mean, King Triton is definitely getting his protein from someplace. Like, dude is ripped. Oh, my God. He might have the beard of Methuselah, but he's got the body of a 30-year-old. Yes. Yes, daddy. <laughs> Dwayne Johnson should be jealous over here. <laughs> when she hugs him at the end and you see his back, it's like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah. How are you doing that in water? I mean, resistance training, I guess. Yeah, it's like uh, Ursula was modeled after Divine, and Triton was modeled after John Senna. (laughs) (laughs) Or Schwarzenegger in Commando. (laughs) Yeah. He's ripped. Anyway, I was just curious, Yeah, what what do they eat? Like, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. We never see them eat. And it just seems unfair that some animals they're friends with, but some animals are okay for eating. I don't know. So, all right, question for you. Okay. If you were a male mermaid, Mm -hmm. uh, would you want to live top with the humans or would you prefer to live under the sea a la the song under the sea ariel listen to me the human world it's a mess life under the sea is better than anything they got up there because honestly i I, i'm just gonna answer my own question (laughs) i feel like sebastian makes a pretty good case for living under the sea i'm with you i mean it's a little xenophobic too (laughs) but um he makes a good case like i i there's a lot of good stuff down there. Yeah, like he really sells it on me. Mm-hmm. You know, at the end of the song, I was like, you know what? <laughs> He's got a point about these uh, 
jamming salmon or whatever yeah. or the clams that are jam <laughs> i i don't remember now but it's like uh he's like life is the bubbles man like yeah, yeah i'm i'm into that yeah uh yeah gotta watch out for a shark once in a while once but, in a um, while but yeah for um, the most part it seems pretty good i mean up on the shore they work all day out in the sun they're slaving away. away yeah <laughs> i don't know it also doesn't seem like king triton is too worried about any sort of like democratic process it seems like he spends most of the time moping about his daughter yeah so i can't imagine that there's too much rigmarole that people have to like suffer through there yeah and what what are borders when there's no gravity anyway <laughs> sure well, yeah. i mean there's some gravity but <laughs> well yeah but you know uh yeah, I don't know. It seemed like a uh, open embrace of different species down there. Like, what if Ariel had wanted to become a whale? Like, uh, she's half fish. Right. Like, what if she wanted to just become... Or, no, that's not good. Like, all right, what if she wanted to become a... What's a big fish? A huma huma nuku nuku apua'a. Uh, the official fish of Hawaii. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> what if she wanted to become one of those? Well, it's like, yeah, th- so that's my question. Would Triton have the same objections to her wanting to become full fish as full human? Yeah, they have fish in the audience during that concert performance. So yeah. clearly they're friends with the fish, like full fished people. Yeah. So, yeah, good question. I don't so, know. I, I mean, yeah, it seemed like he had a problem with her becoming human, not her becoming fish. Yeah. But I guess we just don't like fully see that. It's a question of uh, Triton's character mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. sure question for you what's your favorite song in this movie oh man you've been known to have under the sea stuck in your head yeah which is it's a good song i'm mm-hmm. not gonna lie i really honestly it's probably part of your world if i'm completely oh, honest. really if okay. i'm completely honest with myself when's it my turn wouldn't i love love to explore that shore up above? it's super moving it's well written from a lyrical standpoint there's just not a wasted note in it there was a couple times in that song where like the rhyme scheme kind of threw me off Mm. uh when she's like you know gadgets and gizmos plenty and stuff like that you want thingamabobs i've got 20 Mm -hmm. uh but like there was something to the rhyme scheme where i was like if i was writing it i would just like make the next line rhyme and like the way that they do it is like they like build on it and before the rhyme comes I'm like oh they were smart lyricists here. yeah yeah i mean what's a fire and why does it what's the word burn i actually this morning when i was taking my shower i was like i wonder if i could do the whole song i can do the whole song <laughs> i had no i went through the whole thing which is like i think a strength of that song is like it tells the story the whole way through and you know what the next line is and it's moving i don't know like something about the chord structure really works for me i don't know i also like if you play Memory from Cats, I'll still like cry to it because I had such an emotional reaction to it as a kid okay. that like now I hear it and I'm like, I still can't help but cry at it as an adult, even though I realize like it's not that great of a song. Mm. Um, but Like all Andrew Lloyd Webber songs. <laughs> it's fine. A little schmaltzy. But th- this one, I guess, is similar to where it's like I can't separate my emotional feelings towards it from like whether or not it's good or not. I mean, I also really like Poor Unfortunate Souls. Oh, like, see, for me... This like core era of Disney movies, it it's the villain is is made or or broken on their song, mm-hmm. and this one like takes the cake for me. Even the Jonas Brothers covered this song. Like, <laughs> I admit that in the past I've been a nasty. They weren't kidding when they called me well a witch. 
But you'll find that nowadays I've mended all my ways, repented, seen the light, and made a switch. Yes. It's and so I good. I wish it was more karaokeable because there is like a part in the middle where they're talking. Yeah. Uh, and she, then she references like Floatsum and Jetsum, like now we got them, boys, which I like ruins the flow during karaoke for the song. But it's a tight race between this and Be Prepared from Lion King. But I think this one squeaks it out in the end. I don't know. It's been a long time since I've seen the Lion King. But one strength of this song is Pat Carroll's performance of it. Mm-hmm. She is just ringing every like emotional part out of every note that she can. And she's just being so dramatic, but it works. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like it never feels overly dramatic or it should be. Maybe it is like, maybe it does feel overly dramatic, but that character should be like acting theatrically in real life. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just, it's, it's real good. Yeah. Everything they do concerning Ursula just seems exotic. Like the, her, even her color palette, like the purple, black and gray is so, such a stark contrast. Like, the greens and blues and reds that we've been seeing that yeah. she just looks visibly removed from the rest of the characters. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the song, it's just, it's such a showstopper too. And the way that like, you know, she makes Ariel like naked and like, she's not a fish at all anymore. Like she can't breathe while she's underwater. No. Like it really sets that tone that like Ursula's a villain in this situation. Like she basically sets it up that if Sebastian and Flounder weren't there, she would have died. Yeah. <laughs> The moment when Ariel signs the scroll and Ursula goes, grabs it and it disappears, there's like a a shot of her like turning. Yeah. And it's like her face fills up the entire screen and it's just this evil grin on her face. And it's kind of (laughs) scary. It's just for a second, but you're like, ah. Yeah. I mean, maritime law is complicated too. (laughs) Because I was thinking, I was like. They, yeah, they didn't work out all of the kinks of this contract. We need to get into that. Well, I was thinking because it seemed like Ursula could largely do whatever she wanted and that she was, uh, in some respects, as powerful as Triton. So, like, there must be, like, a consent factor, like, here. Like, you know, maybe maritime law follows, like, the same, like, uh, offer, consideration, acceptance uh, rules that uh, land contracts uh-huh. have. <laughs> Sure, sure. <laughs> Where there there has to be something given up in exchange for something else. Because mm-hmm. Ursula's pretty powerful. Like, it seems yeah. like if she wanted to just make Ariel one of those little things that she could have right off the bat. Yeah. You get the impression, though, that Triton's more powerful than her. I think it's because of the trident. Is that what's doing it? Yeah, because like when she gets that, that's like when the tables and the really crown. turn. Yeah. Yeah, because she was able to... It's a throwaway line at the beginning where she's like, When I lived in the palace. So like she used to be like, the ruler, the queen. Mm. I remember when I was little, I thought that Triton and Ursula were siblings. And I have no idea where I got that from, but I remember thinking that. Sure, why not? Maybe she's the mother. Oh, shit. Fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that'd be really fucked up. I'm going with that. (laughs) She's, She's Ariel's mother. Ugh, gross. She's using Ariel to get back at Triton. It's not even about Ariel, this movie. <laughs> it was just a bad divorce. Yeah. Oh, that's messed up. All she got was the pets. <laughs> My poor little poopsies. Porn Fortunate Souls also has some pretty sexist lines in it. Like, it comes from the villain, so you can roll with it. But it's like, the woman who holds her tongue is the one who gets her man mm-hmm. and stuff like that. 
you know, men don't like a, uh, After a lot all of blather. <laughs> what is idle prattle for? Yeah. I mean, obviously women only talk to men because they want to get in their pants, right? That's right. How, that's how that works. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the animation in that scene, though, because like at the beginning, like during the concert that Sebastian's conducting, it's very cartoony animation. Yeah. Whereas with Poor Unfortunate Souls, like it seems very crisp animation, very lifelike, like the, the movements are very humanistic mm-hmm. in it. It's not the rubbery sort of cartoony stuff. And I always felt like that was to add a level of drama if the characters were moving the way that humans moved as yeah. opposed to lighthearted cartoony movements and things like that. I mean, same with part of your world, like, the way that Ariel's moving around, the way, especially the way her hair floats in mm, the water, mm-hmm. very realistic. Yeah. They did a lot of, not motion capture, but they had like actors and actresses like, like go underwater doing... and then they would just like, uh, you know, just them on like an empty sound stage and then the animators would use that for reference, but... I'm imagining they did a lot of the animating from the vocal takes, too, it seems like. Yeah, I think they recorded the vocals first, because in the footage that I saw of like them doing the live action, they were singing along with at least the songs ahead of time already. Mm-hmm. So they might have recorded just the songs, but... There's some really cool cinematic moments, too. Uh, specifically, one that I noticed was in Part of Your World. The camera does like a... Um... I don't know what you'd call it, but it's sort of like a De Palma-esque, like, spin around the... Okay. Uh, spins around area, and you see, Thinking like, the... blowout? Yeah. And yeah. you see, like, the grotto all around her. Which, and, I mean, that's a tough animation Yeah, thing to how do. do you even do that? Because you have to match the animation of her to the background moving. And then, because it does that, and then it tilts up. But the background is still moving faster. It's almost like a... a like a telephoto lens spin, like a Michael Bay spin yeah, no, sort that's, of thing. That's what I meant to say. Yeah, yeah. And then, but then it pans up, and then we see like the top of the grotto. So it's like that background had to move a certain way, and then it also had to have like uh, animation going up. Like it had to be drawn that way so that the camera could move up there. And that's what I mean by like there's a lot of care that went into this movie because that's not something you can just toss away. It's like not thought through. Well, in Kiss the Girl. This is the first time I've ever noticed it, but there's a scene where it's below, like underwater, below the boat, and then the camera comes up, and there's even camera shake. Like, it, the camera comes up and then lands, like there's a little up and then down, and then it wavers, like it's hitting the water and sort of oh. moving. And I was like, that was very intentional camera shake. Like, they were trying to make it seem handheld almost in that moment. Yeah. Uh, but it was just like when the camera shot up and bounced down. I was like, that's an interesting idea for animation. Like, I can't think of another instance in animation where they tried to, like, add in handheld camera mistakes, if you will. Yeah. But, yeah, they really approached it like a movie movie, not necessarily like a cartoon. Yeah. Which the directors attributed to, like, the live action stuff because, like, they would move the camera. They would see how the camera would set up the shots and things like that. And they wanted to capture some of the stuff from the live action, put it in the animation. I mean, it shows. Yeah. No, there was a lot of care that went into this. I have a question for you. Yes. About the contract. Seems like there were some, uh, some details that didn't get quite worked out in there because, uh, well, a, yeah, one of them being that like the sun sets on the third day, she like goes up, it's like sun setting already. It's like, does that count as day one? 
Mm. Is it like a full 24 hour period? Like what are the days? Like it doesn't really uh it doesn't really say that out. Well, no, when she comes up, I thought the sun was rising. Oh, was that the situation? Yeah, because, like, she gets found pretty early in the day. Yeah. And I... then the next day they go into town and then do the kiss the girl thing, which would be day two. Yeah. And it's thwarted. By the, yeah. And then, because then, and then on the, the third day okay. is when Ursula comes dressed as that bitchy brunette. Vanessa. <laughs> By the Looking way, like a real housewife rolling <laughs> up into Ariel's turf. She's so excited when Scuttle comes in. It's like the prince is getting married. Like, why would she ever think it was to her? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she's just like my plan works. <laughs> like, he didn't make any hint that he wants yeah. to marry. Like, why would he just start being her, her, like, "Oh, well, I'm marrying that girl that I've never kissed or talked to." <laughs> her plan worked, and she's the last to find out about it. Yeah, that doesn't. I don't know. But before Ursula becomes Vanessa, like she's like watching the whole thing transpire and she's like, What? This can't be happening. <laughs> and I was like, You're acting like this wasn't a possibility. <laughs> like Eric kind of read a little gay on the boat. He's you know, he's like, I'm married to the sea. I'm sure the right girl is out there. I'm like, Aren't you anxious to get your rocks off like on the reg? Yeah. Like like, she's throwing herself at you. <laughs> He'd rather spend all this time out here with these rugged seamen <laughs> than find a lady. Who are uh, all dancing at the <laughs> to the music by themselves. Mm. Although none of those sailors really <laughs> did it for you. No. I just thought it was funny that they were all dancing. It's like, that's very cute, Disney. The idea that, like, a bunch of men just you know put together by themselves with music playing would all dance they must all be gay because like i can't imagine a bunch of straight men being like da, 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 da. and they're like <laughs> clapping for that one who's like on the barrel <laughs> just like that's very quaint <laughs> yeah and you know so that's just where eric would prefer to spend his time yeah it seems that way maybe he just likes some underage you know all mm. the royal women that came according she's were... 16 and he's marrying her i don't know eric I mean that is age of consent in Washington. Does she know what she wants? I'm I'm worried about this. You came of age quickly, and I don't know. You're the oh no, this is Hans Christian Andersen, but it like takes place in France. I was like, this must be based on some sort of French f- novel of yesteryear. No, it's Danish. So yeah, you know nothing of those <laughs> novels. But there's the French chef that tries to that has a vendetta oh, against man. Sebastian that like reprises itself before the credits. I know, which is like, what if he died in that end part there? Like he's getting tried to be chopped up. You know who does the voice of that French chef? Oh yeah, it's Rene Aubergeois. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that and I was like, I know that name. And I looked it up. I was like, Odo from Deep Space Nine. (laughs) It's great. It's really great. I really only know him from those two things: Little Mermaid and Deep Space Nine. He does like character acting stuff. I know that he was in like an episode of uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and like he pops up here and there. So. Did you recognize the voice of the chambermaid that comes in to wash her, her... Oh, I mean, I did, but I don't know her name. She's a character actress herself. Edie McClurig. Okay, and what else has she done? Well, she's the secretary in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yes, and she... the one uh, who says, like, you're fucked yep, in, in plane, plane, trains, and automobiles. Yep, she's, the, uh, she's the rental car agent. You're fucked. She's a lot of fun. And the, her character looks exactly like her human self. Mm-hmm. 
except with brown hair. Oh, okay. That's that's another uh, example of Hollywood's brownwashing. I'm sorry. The heroine of this movie is the brightest, <laughs> most starkly colored redhead I've All ever right, seen. You're right, actually, and uh, that's. I mean, I gotta hand it to Disney. Like, bravo. Way to make a, a, a lead redhead who's strong, defiant. She's great. Credit where credit is due. Uh, secret shame, placing that card right now. Someone on the internet redrew Disney princesses as men. Oh. And I was very, very attracted to the little Twinkie mermaid. You're going <laughs> to... You're going to post that on Twitter, right? <laughs> if I can find it again. It was a couple years now, but I was like, oh, damn. <laughs> I think maybe now that I'm looking back on it, that's probably another reason I like this so much was because she was a redhead. And it's just like, you know, I'm so starved for uh, representation that it was like. I was four when this movie came out. You must have been 18 or 19. <laughs> just... I don't remember how many of my friends liked this movie. I Like, I, I have no real like first-hand reference as to uh, like obviously this is a very popular movie mm-hmm. this like ushered in disney's new golden era uh was a box office sensation critical darling and i seem to recall that you know me and all my kindergarten friends all like this movie mm-hmm. there wasn't like the barbie or doll problem where it was like only girls can like this movie yeah isn't that strange this was definitely like all genders are allowed to like this movie. And I don't know the idea that, you know, a lot of times the Disney princess is the secondary character, you know, Aladdin's that way or Lion King's that way. Nala, you know, stuff like that. This, the Disney princess is like, you know, front and center. Mm -hmm. Eric is totally like a tertiary supporting character, even in beauty and the beast, like beast is a supporting role, like to bell. And so, I don't know. I feel like it's, when people, like, there's that debate, like, do women movies really draw in an audience? I'm like, look at this. Like, this absolutely transcended genders in terms of, like, little boys were seeing Ariel and totally sympathizing with her and loving this movie. It Like, you wouldn't need to make Ariel a boy in order for it to be more successful. Yeah, not at all. Well, she was always a girl anyway, right? Like, wasn't the original story, it's like of a... Of a- Oh, I think so, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, but I think then, you know, Hans Christian Anderson was probably like, oh, better keep your legs together, ladies. Because <laughs> I think in the original story, she doesn't, like, win him over and she becomes the sea foam or something. She gets, like, transformed. Oh, really? Yeah, she does not. This is very much a happy ending oh. by Disney. But um, When Ursula initially transforms Ariel, do you think she's got, like, leg tone? Or do you think she gave her, like, celluloid legs? <laughs> They look toned. Like, yeah. And appropriate. Appropriate for her. tones for like a 16 year old girl. Yeah. Like, okay. Sure. I was just thinking like maybe she was like, let's just tilt the odds a little bit more in my favor and, <laughs> and, and give her some cottage cheese thighs here. <laughs> She's like, no thigh gap. <laughs> yeah. There was no, by the way, there was no clause in that contract, not to keep harping on it, that said <laughs> that like, I can't cheat uh, in this situation. Did you, because- did you like pause the movie and read the whole contract? <laughs> no, but I mean, Clearly, that's what Article she's doing. Article one, <laughs> the party of the first part will be referred to as the sea witch, semicolon, Ursula, semicolon, the witch of the sea. <laughs> but she like, 
she's obviously meddling. Like, obviously, there's magic going on with this contract, too, because Triton can't destroy it. It's binding and legal, whatever. The contract's legal, binding, and completely unbreakable, even for you. Maritime but, law supersedes that everything that is, else. Yeah. But, like, she's able, she's still able to, like, meddle and use the voice. Like, I would, I would, like, send back that contract back. Well, you can't use my voice in From this way. From an accounting's perspective, when you receive a deposit, if for whatever reason that deposit is deemed non-refundable, that's now your funds. Mm. So there must have been a clause saying that perhaps the deposit could be used as the first party sees fit until remittance is necessary. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> I would love to have a scene where like Ariel puts on some glasses and then she's just uh, like Ursula's pouring got the green visor on and they're <laughs> she's like pouring over it. It's like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. now this clause here. What is this? What does this mean? <laughs> it goes to Ariel's team of lawyers to look it over. Her sisters. <laughs> yes. They're all one L's. <laughs> one L being first year law students. I see. For okay. Those who did not date someone who, who who was a lawyer the, the, they haven't passed the aqua bar yet <laughs> yeah the the california coast one is a real bitch <laughs> you really don't like the idea of fine print do you you keep harping on this contract i feel like there's like a hidden fear that you're gonna sign one of these contracts and your voice will be taken she just got rushed into i mean i feel like she was pressured into signing it and uh Where's her legal guardian? Is she even old enough to be signing something like this by herself? Maybe part of the contract was also emancipation from her guardians. And Ursula has that power? Well, if Ariel showed that her parents had been negligent in some ways, uh, yeah, emancipation could be maybe part of this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, I guess he was kind of violent by destroying all her stuff. That's true. Abusive. That's pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> I did like at the end, though, when Triton's like, here's some legs, also gives her a dress. Yeah. <laughs> Ursula's like, you make it up with your, your shellfish bra. <laughs> and then, you know, you're, you're on your own. Yeah. And also, like, turns her to a human while she's above water. Yeah. Like, that was nice. Yeah. <laughs> Very heteronormative, though, for Triton to, like, he's literally giving his daughter away at that point mm-hmm. in this, like, wedding-type scenario. Question for you. Does she ever get to see her family again? Or was, like, that those waving goodbyes, like, goodbye forever? Yeah, I mean, maybe on, like, special events. You know, Thanksgiving, Christmas, Easter. I don't know. Yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> okay. As a kid, I remember watching that and thinking, like, well, they, she just she's going away she's a human now she doesn't see them ever again and then like watching that today thinking that same thought like that's really sad <laughs> like when uh scuttle lifts up flounder for her and she's like bye bye and he's like waves oh. bye bye as he's being ducked down like it feels very permanent like this is the last time i will be seeing you my friend you know <laughs> and you're like fuck and she doesn't even know eric i mean i'm definitely like, I, get, I have no emotional attachments to anyone ever. So, like, I'd just be like, bye-bye, you know, you, you lead your best life. <laughs> I'm on my I'm on my own now. <laughs> she does seem to really like the opulent lifestyle that uh, she's about to get into. Like, when she gets on that bed, she's like, fuck yes. Ariel, like, no, she's like, I'm marrying up. <laughs> like, <laughs> Prince Eric is clearly leading the, the lifestyle for me. No more of this, like, 
sleeping in in barnacles and seaweed <laughs> Under shit sea moss i i mean granted we don't see ariel's bedroom or boudoir but i'd imagine it's like her bed is coral and she's got uh it's a canopy bed with just like nasty ass seaweed and sea onions <laughs> which they call onions under the sea <laughs> Do they call sea cucumbers sea cucumbers? <laughs> they just call them cucumbers? And then we have land cucumbers? Yeah, she just thinks that, yeah. She goes up and she's like, oh, we're eating this land cucumber. <laughs> ooh, ooh. And uh, sea urchins are just urchins, urchins for them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Boy, this is tickling you just right. <laughs> I like, Here, give us another one. I'll I like crack it. you up some more. <laughs> oh, look, a land urchin. <laughs> What would that be? It's probably for the best that she couldn't talk. <laughs> she'd just be making a damn fool out of herself this whole time. Okay, I was wondering that this time, too. Do you think that that was part of what uh, endeared her to Prince Eric when she starts combing her hair with the fork? He's like, well, that's cute and quirky. Mm, no, I think it was definitely like Florence Nightingale syndrome. Like, she rescued him... And she's, he's just like, oh, my God, someone cares enough about me to save me. Uh-huh. Like, that, like, was the, the what sealed the deal for him. I see. So it didn't matter that she was kind of weird. I mean, do you think that Ariel was, like, the manic pixie dream girl to Eric's stuffy, humdrum, privileged white life? I mean, that's the question. I mean, a little bit, yeah. But, no, I think it was definitely that she was, like, a svelte-toned 16-year-old. And he's just like, I want that. It does kind of uh, require the old guy to be like, Eric, fuck her. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like Grimes or Grimby or... Yeah, Grim- Grimble. Grimsby. Otherwise, he's just like, man, I'm never going to find that girl. Yeah. Also, he throws that flute away when he decides to go with Ariel. <laughs> and I'm like... Uh, I'm sorry, that was not a flute. That was a recorder. <laughs> yeah. I was. I mean, I was he like, clearly <laughs> gave up going to school in the third grade when we all had to learn the recorder, and that was like his one holdover. He was. He's rich enough; he could always buy another one. But I was like, "That's so wasteful, dude." Like, yeah, it's not like you're giving up playing the flute for doing this. Prince Eric is the Paris Hilton of this world. Like him playing the recorder is like him DJing at some nightclub. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I could see Ariel could be like the the one plucky spirit where she like you know put some like clamshell headphones on him and was like the song will change your life <laughs> it's whale song <laughs> they're driving along on some sort of land bus and her hair is dyed a different color so he approaches her uh just a fun fact they call them uh sea headphones <laughs> even the mermaids do because they know that these came from land so <laughs> The C doesn't stand for clam. Yeah. No, it does. It's oh, C, C headphones. Cl- yeah, clam headphones. <laughs> <laughs> Did you think at all about the women's fashion in this movie? Like, specifically the wedding dresses? Like, who wore it best? Vanessa versus Ariel? I know they're different dresses, but... Ooh. No. Oh. Well, I mean, you've been binge watching Project Runway, so you were like, <laughs> she didn't make it work, or whatever they say in that show. I mean, I almost like Vanessa's dress better. Oh, really? I, I mean... Ariel's is pretty 80s. She's got those huge, puffy shoulder sleeve things. Oh, yeah. It's just like, I don't know, girl. It seems a little ostentatious. What was Vanessa's dress? It's a very simple Vera Wang style, <laughs> uh, kind of an off-white, nice cream color. 
Okay, okay. Like your wedding dress. Yeah. Yeah. But, oh, that, that brings me to a certain point. Uh, I liked how uh, Jodie Benson, who's the voice of Ariel, who probably never had to work again because of this. I know she did, but she actually does a good voice acting job, too, because she has to sing. She does a great job as Ariel, but then she also gets to play Vanessa. So it's mm. like, that's got to be fun for her. Like, she gets to scream, like, when the birds are flying up her skirt and things like that. And, oh. Like, when, like, the... Uh, Starfish. Starfish, and she's like, "Get me, slimy little things." <laughs> like, that's got to be a lot of fun for her. A uh, real quick question about uh, wedding dresses. We'll tailor this to your gender identification. Okay. Let's say you were to get married, you were wearing a wedding suit. Mm-hmm. Would you wear white or hussy cream? Wait, <laughs> those are my choices. Well, yeah, you're either wearing virginal white or hussy beige. Well, I'm obviously going to go for hussy beige. Okay. I'm not going to false advertise. <laughs> yeah. What will your family think? <laughs> I doubt they'll be shocked. <laughs> I realize I'm having a, I have a lot of thoughts. Like for a movie, I didn't take any notes on. Suddenly I'm like. Yeah, I didn't take any notes on this one either. I got lots of thoughts. I mean, it helps that like I watched this movie so much as a child and I watched it. I don't know. It was like four or five years ago that I watched it again. I was like. This movie is amazing. Yeah. And then when I was rewatching all the Disney movies, the 2D Disney movies with friend of the pod, Devin Sheridan from last week's episode, mm-hmm. he and I watched Snow White on up through Princess and the Frog. Oh, wow. And even coming across this one, I'm like, this is the best. This is the best. It's definitely my favorite of the ones I've seen. So I think I've, I forgot to mention this at the top of the show, but this is... Uh, Part of my continuing exploration of uh, childhood movies, a la the Large Martin Sentis podcast. Oh, it's the final one. Yeah, this is the final uh, of, of the season. But I saved this one for last. I wanted to talk about Little Mermaid, but I wanted to put it in some sort of context. And I, this and Beetlejuice were probably like the the, the movies that defined my childhood the most. Okay. And I wanted to save this one because it's an actual children's movie, for one thing. But I think because it's a children's movie, it had more of an impact on me socially. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it connected me to other kids. Beetlejuice was like, I loved it. And, like, I had friends who liked it. But everybody loved Little Mermaid. Yeah. And... So I feel like this takes me back to a specific cultural point in society. Mm -hmm. Like, not just my life, but a touchstone for a generation of people. Absolutely. what next episode is matt 99 plus one equals carry the one and it's one zero and then oh my god it's 100 <laughs> that's insane 100 episodes that is crazy i mean that's an exciting milestone in itself but do you know what that means that we've done 99 i don't know what it means it means we get to play afi roulette oh my god 
So, uh, if you're just tuning into the podcast, last time on our 50th episode, we took a random number generator from 1 to 100, and we let that choose which movies from the AFI Top 100 list that we would be watching for the next one. We each had one veto, and it had to veto the pair of the movies. And I think we're going to do it that way again, right? Yes. Okay. But I think we should also eliminate if 69 or 94 come up. I can't remember which one uh, Pulp Fiction is. I was going to say Tootsie and Pulp Fiction, yeah, which the, we did on episode 50. If those come up, that's an automatic spin again. Right? That seems fair. Either one of those numbers? Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Because if that comes, like, I don't want to I was going to say, it Tootsie. can't be that duo of numbers that comes up. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, either one, it's an automatic spin again. We should mention that we're going off the list that starts with Citizen Kane and ends with Ben-Hur. So this is the 2007 10th anniversary list. I am excited. I was looking over the list today. They have this feature on the website now where you can like click through and see how many of them you've seen. I'm up to uh, 72, I think is what I got. <laughs> I'm up to 88. Nice. That's a yeah. B+. Plus. Are there any you're hoping to get this time? I Because I haven't seen it, I would like to see Gone with the Wind. Oh, okay. I still haven't seen that in its proper order. But some favorites, uh, both Psycho and Chinatown. Oh, yeah. We haven't done a Hitchcock film yet. No, we haven't. And both those movies, like, I love, like, to, like, an irrational point. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I'm angling for a Billy Wilder. We got a lot of Billy Wilder on there. Well, what happens if we get the apartment? Oh, well, that's an automatic spin again, too. Okay, okay, okay. okay. Yeah, you're right. Damn it. You're always going to rub that in my face, aren't you? (laughs) Well, I got everything locked and loaded. Are you ready to play? All right, spin number one. Here we go. Sixty-five. Ooh, the African Queen. Hey, that's a pretty good movie. Mm. Is it though? I don't know. Sixty-five is retirement age, and they're old in that movie. Do we want to do an old person? Well, it's sixty-five retirement from Medicare. Social Security, I think, is different. Oh, it's definitely Medicare, yeah. Oh, shit. 69. Tootsie. Tootsie. That's a respin. <laughs> I like, we, we got that num- number scorched into our brain. Oh, I know which, which one is number 69 <laughs> on the list. <laughs> okay. Starting over from scratch. That, that, that does not even count. All right, new roll. Oh, we don't get much in the 30s. The Godfather Part 2. That's a good movie. That's a good movie. Okay. African Queen and Godfather Part 2. I'm going to say it. Not into African Queen. Wow. That's like one of the first movies filmed on location. Whatever. Jesus. All right. We're missing out on Robert's solo episode of it. And, you know. Maybe I will, Matt. I can't wait. <laughs> I'll listen to it. All right, all right. We're starting in. Spin two. Uh, we're coming up on 93. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, it's an old one there. Is it an old one? I meant uh, that's a low on the list one. <laughs> uh, 93 is the French Connection. Shit. How many freaking films do we want to do on this podcast? <laughs> Let's just throw them all on. Is The Guardian on the list? 
<laughs> I like how you're making fun of that movie before you've even yeah. seen it. Uh, roll number two. Sixty-one. What could it be? What could it be? Sullivan's Travels. I don't know anything about it. You know what? I think I have to I have to use the veto just because we've already covered so much freaking lately. Like we can't like we can't become the the freaking fan podcast. <laughs> okay, that's fair. That's fair. That's like, fair. We just like I I'm sorry, I have to veto. I respect, I respect. But now, whatever comes up barring Tootsie Pulp Fiction in the apartment. We're gonna have to watch. Why do I never think ahead? Seventy. Okay. <gasps> A Clockwork Orange. Oh shit! Is that on there? I didn't know yeah. that was on there. I thought that was a British film. Me too. But yeah, number seventy, Clockwork Orange. Oh. Okay. One above Tootsie. What do you know? Below Tootsie, actually. Yeah, you're. I like to think the numbers go up as they go up. <laughs> sure. Spin number two. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. 22. Some like it hot. Oh, hey! Oh. Hey, that was my wish. I wanted a Billy Wilder. Yeah, you did. Oh. Clockwork Orange and Some Like It Hot. Hmm. I feel like if we did that combo, we'd be talking a lot about feminist issues. Oh. So that's kind of exciting as a. That is exciting. Yeah. You know, out of all the possibilities, I'm pretty happy with this one. Actually, I'm, uh, let's see. We could call it, uh, um,. Some like it orange? No, I don't know. We'll, I'll I'll work on we'll, that. We'll sleep on it. Okay. Yeah, sure. sure but uh, sure. I'm not I'm not sad about that combo. Yeah, no, I'm in fact very excited about this combo. And plus, we get to see uh, Tony Curtis in a dress, and you know what? He makes a pretty damn fine woman. And we get to see uh, Malcolm McDowell in a cod piece. A lot of pluses here. Yeah. Great. B- bam. Next week, <laughs> Clockwork Orange and Some Like It Hot. A Clockwork Hot. <laughs> A clock hot orange. <laughs> a hot clock orange. Some yeah. like it clockwork hot. <laughs> orange. I like it. Sleeve. Follow us on Twitter at X Rated Movies. You know what it's for. You can also follow us on Facebook if you're still on that platform, and that is Rated X Movies. Follow us on Snapchat, TBD. Follow us on Instagram at X-Rated Movies. We're there too, you know? We've got a presence. And if you want to contact us directly, x.rated.movies at gmail.com is the best way to do it. Yeah, and if you're feeling randy, give us some love. Leave us love on Apple iTunes, Stitcher Podcast, all that jazz. And if you ever want to see what we've done in any capacity ever, our website movies.com is the best way to do that. It's all there, bro. Anyway, our second <sighs> AFI roulette double feature for episode 100. 100. We're doing Some Like It Hot and A Clockwork Orange. Oh, I'm really excited. Honestly, truly excited. Some Like It, A Clockwork Hot Orange. <laughs> <laughs>
Bye. Bye.